Welcome back to the New Republic podcast, the third one in our edition. I'm joined with my main man, uh, Richard from Optimizely. Say hi, Rich. Hello. And Paco from Chemist Warehouse. Say hi, Paco. Hey. And of course, everyone knows the annoying voice, which is Nima from New Republic. Okay, let's kick into it. Today is going to be super exciting. The topic for today is what's the most common mistake brands make uh, when they start a CRO program and what tips would you have for them to get started? But if you can't wait for it, I'm a little bit of a sneak preview at the end of this. Uh, we're all going to give you our three tips to buying your, to get buy-in for your experimentation program. So let's go right back around to the start of the program and let's start with Rich. Let's start with you of the companies you've talked to. What's their one biggest regret when they're setting up their CRO program? Of the organizations that we've talked to, um, there's actually a common theme with those who have not been able to progress their programs. So I reckon those are the ones that have the biggest regrets when setting up the program. Uh, and what we found, the common thread, is that they want to prove the value of CRO before they make the case to get budget for CRO, which means they get free or nearly free tech. They try and do it themselves without getting proper external help. And when they do that, problems happen. Maybe it slows down their site. Maybe it takes too long for them to get results, so it's not useful. Maybe the results are inconclusive or worse, incorrect, when they go to put the winner into production and it actually moves them backwards. And because of that, all they've done is prove that CRO doesn't work. i got to say, I have similar things. Parker, I want to flip it to you, dude, because you and I have had this conversation a few times. So for everybody, Parker and I work together. But Parker, we do. when we started this, this wasn't your first rodeo. So I'm curious, man, like, how did you first start? And then what happened? And then it paused and then it kind of launched again. So what happened that it went through that pause and start again? Very, very good question. I think um, the biggest challenge for us was getting everything aligned to what the business wanted to get back on it. So we started and the goals and strategies we'd set up weren't aligned with how we were going to get it back into the business. So we always struggled with that, that challenge. And I think, to be honest, I think one of the biggest challenges and potentially optimizes to blame for this, Rich, without uh, throwing you under the bus. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll, one, of the, one of the biggest challenges for most people who have kicked off the CRO program very early in the piece is that when optimizely first came to the market they launched this product and they were like look we can do multivariate testing we can get all these things in front of people we did the obama campaign and the obama campaign that you guys did and that dan sat on a stage and presented to everybody about was i can change some colors and some images and i will get you so much money back off this and that to us is almost the biggest challenge because linking everything from a color back to revenue is the ultimate hurdle to get across. So our biggest challenge was, yeah, getting getting that business buy-in and then pinning it relative to other things in the business as well is kind of where was the time value money in that, uh, in that proposition. But I feel like having said that, you kind of kicked me off with uh, what was the one regret we have in, a, in setting up a program. And as a, as a true experimentation practitioner, we have no regrets, right? It's all just learning. It's all just learnings and going forward. Riddle me this. <laughs> I love 
I gotta say though, there is a rich. You've heard that before. Like even Pete Coombs has said, you know, the biggest mistake we made was talking about button color change. Do, do you think that that's uh, have you experienced that to be an issue when you talk about people have these false ideas of experimentation? Yes, I have. And I actually find that all of the case studies that we create, that our marketing creates, are all about a simple test that someone can understand. Like there's one from the Wall Street Journal that says all we did was add the words you can cancel anytime, and then we had this massive uplift. And they're not wrong. They changed those words and they had a massive uplift. What you don't get in that piece of content was that they did 200 tests before that one. And that was the one that gave them the massive uplift. So the program is much bigger than the individual test. So the best way that I've found, or the way I'm using right now to try and get around that is to say, this is an example of the type of lift we've managed to deliver on a single page during someone's journey. So imagine what you could do if you applied this practice across the entire customer journey. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting, because I, I, think, I think Parks, you're right. Like sometimes people want to hear what they want to hear to justify what they want to do. And as a result, it becomes really difficult because you have to prove that every time. And when you can't, as you know, experimentation, you know, you lose more tests than you win just by its very nature. It becomes hard to justify, hey, this does work if you contain, if you, you got to think of it in a broader picture. And that- I think one thing, sorry, I'll just, I'll, my thoughts on that is one thing that I did, which may be detrimental to people's careers if they do it in some capacity, but um, positioning it to people in terms of, look how many times you stuffed up. Look how many stuff ups I could have saved you from making. Look how far down the chain we are in this decision that's been made by someone when we could have tested this way back when in the piece. And getting in there earlier and getting up the chain and letting people think about it before you're too far down the journey really helped in terms of where we got in the in the journey. And like you mentioned, Nina, there was a big pause between when we first met and when we kicked off our program with you and things like that were a big part of it in terms of helping people mitigate a lot of the risk in what they're doing. You know, the one thing I I've noticed and I'd love you guys to tell me if you've seen this as well. One of the, and it, it's a very recent scenario as well, where uh, organizations that have the individuals internally uh, believe that, you know what, we can do this in-house. And I, and I find the one common regret I always hear is we should, have, we should have got someone to focus on this as their sole practice, whether that's a partner or internal. What I find is when people try to deal with the resource they have, those resources, they begin strong, but they never end up getting the program off the ground. And, I, and that's the one common regret that I always hear. I know for me, as running tests, my biggest regret is I wish that when, if I could go back to some of the goal settings that I did for clients, I wish I asked for the board paper and asked what was on the board paper that is the most important thing and then tie that back into experiments. I think that's one thing that I would go back and do differently. Yeah, I think as well for us, getting people to understand the, I think you guys mentioned in the first podcast, test and learn philosophy and experimentation and how you, how you take it a step back into their framework when it's, and not necessarily a framework that we work in as a business has been, has been a big challenge. Um, and so getting everyone on board to that degree is certainly helping the, uh, the business case internally from, from my perspective. Hey, Rich, when you, when you go and see companies who've done experimentation, stopped it and they're restarting, what do you, what's the common thread that you see with them? Is, is there a common thread? 
or is it generally? Yeah. So there's lots of different reasons, but the most common one that we see is that they disproved the practice of conversion rate optimization. So I feel what you're feeling as well, Nima, in what you mentioned that uh, it would have been better if they had a person dedicated to this. It would have been better if they had X, Y, Z resource, but the challenge, like that's a catch 22. You can't get the resource unless you've proved it. You can't prove it unless you've got the resource. So my advice to organizations is scope it the way that the program should be run. Have someone dedicated, have external support, have decent tech, like scope it properly. And the dollar tag associated with that is quite high. Take that to management. It doesn't necessarily mean that you get that to begin with, but at least they know what is necessary to make it run correctly so that if it doesn't work with someone part-time having a crack at it with a free tool, that you can then go back and go, but we weren't doing it right. We didn't disprove experimentation. We just, we actually need resources to make this work properly. Yeah. And and do you find more commonly that they blame the tool and the practice rather than the commitment to making it work? (laughs) Bigger than that, even if you get the right tool and the right people, uh, the new practice gets blamed anytime something goes wrong. I I find we spend a, a significant amount of time with all new customers helping them fend off the rest of the business saying it must have been the testing that caused these problems. Yeah. And it's more often than not, not the testing that did that, but it's the easiest part of the business to kick. Yeah. Parks, is that, is that the case with you? Oh, bang on. Anytime I see an issue, I pause our experimentation program. I put it on hold because I know that the boot's coming for me and it's coming for the <laughs> program. So I, uh, I, always, I always make sure it's the first thing to switch off because it is the easiest one to kick. But yeah, I think, I think that's exactly it. Is like there's the challenges of that too. And sorry, what I was going to say is it's fascinating that people fail improving experimentation with the free tools because like anyone who's any good at numbers couldn't make an experimentation program work. Like if <laughs> there's, there's a million ways to make the numbers talk the way you need them to talk. And it's more, are those numbers relative to business success, right? Is like, if someone said to me now, go into a new business and make an experimentation program, earn more money, I could make that happen. Like you could, you could go like that, click your fingers, have a test that gets uplift, but getting that at scale, and getting the right people with the right mindset to do that is, is the ultimate challenge for a business. And we sort of struggled with it for a while. Mm. Um, and then making sure you got the right, the right partners and the right people in the room that are all on board with it too. How did you, I mean, I know you and I went through a long journey. How did you eventually sell it into the bosses? Especially when like everyone goes. Yeah. Good, good, very good question. I think for me, it was pinning it relative to what got people the most excited in terms of there are key stakeholders in any business and there's something that they're super passionate about. And you just, I just needed to pin it to that passion and restructure it in a way that made sense to them. So a lot of, we got, and I think you, you did a great article on it a while ago, Nima. Um, I feel like I'm giving you a good little plug here, but uh, (laughs) this is the paid placement for Nima's uh, (laughs) blog posts. No, um, you did, you did one on the price of experimentation versus the price of media. And it, it was the one that was relative to how we positioned it to the business is look how much money you're spending getting people in, look how much money you could spend to get them to convert. And there's, different elements of what that conversion looks like. 
Um, but that's ultimately is think of those dollars that you invested and what media wastage you had in market, right? And what that could have been should you had invested that in people converting on your site once they got there. Yeah. All I heard was, Nemi, you're not charging enough. <laughs> We're about to do a rate negotiation, are we? <laughs> uh, next question. Next question. So, uh, Parks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this one to you so you can kick it off because you're still warmed up. If, if you could go back to yourself, right? What was the most important learning you had on the journey to get it up and running? Like, what would you advise yourself if you went back a couple of years? I think getting everyone on the train as early as possible. Like, get your experimentation program as upstream of what's happening in your broader programs, digital executions, what you're deploying. Get it upstream early and give get one in there and test it and prove value and then that'll definitely help get everyone on board because we had a few sort of programs that we were sort of rolling out there and having a go at and people weren't really sure and a lot of opinions, right? And that's probably most businesses have a lot of opinions coming into what the right decision is. And we kind of took a step up, took it into one of those programs and said, let's validate early and then go ahead with it. And that sort of helped get everyone on board and um, in, so engaged with the program. So when you say, did you did you take a position around i'm going to help us i mean are you, are you talked about the cost of media do you find like this kind of loss aversion conversation is more powerful than a uplifting conversation like do you think it's better to say hey you know with experimentation i can save us money whether it's the cost of media or the opportunity cost or implementing something ridiculous or is it better to talk about because like as experiments, we always talk about uplift. Like this is, you know, we won and this is what we want. Like, which way do you find? I, yeah, no, I definitely position it as a opportunity cost and a loss aversion. Um, and I think there's a few businesses out there who position their CRO program in a declining market to make sure that they stay on parallels. Um, so positioning it that way certainly helps. And mitigating errors, right? It's like, that's the whole, whole aim of it is make the right decision and um, make sure that if you're going to make a decision, it doesn't burn the bottom line. And we got a few tests where we'll talk to the guys and be like, what's what's the key metric of this outcome? And it's so our site doesn't crash. It's not so that, uh, so, so that there's a massive uplift in experience. It's like, no, no, no. We just want to make sure nothing crashes and burns. And we know it's the right and we're conforming to the norm here. We're not going out of our ways and being ridiculous, but it's making sure that we're able to make sure that no wrong decisions are made. Yeah, interesting. How many wrong decisions have you made without testing? Say with testing. Uh, I'd probably say in the last year, if I was to put a number on it, probably five or six. With testing or without? Uh, with testing. With testing. We would have had five or six bad decisions that would have gone to market as someone's opinion. That, really? are no, that are not on our site now. So if you go to Chemist Warehouse, you won't see them. <laughs> <laughs> and you can guess what they could be. How do you extrapolate uh, backwards into you didn't lose? Like, you don't know if the impact that thing could have had. You can hypothesize. Yeah. You don't really know. How do you extrapolate backwards? Have you, have you figured that out? Um, it's, a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to get backwards to a dollar figure. We sort of like to position it as reaching the benchmark of the broader digital industry, so to speak. I don't know if industry is the right word there, but I'll go with it. In terms of, I know that this is best practice. We want to be like best practice, 
but is best practice in market good for us as a brand? Because whatever you think best practice is, it might not be the best practice for you. So we're sort of saying, hey, this is where we wanted to get to. Actually, our customers didn't want it. So let's not go there. Got it. Rich, what about you, man? We've been babbling on for a bit and talk. So what's the most You guys have been. I got, I, got re- I got really excited when Parker, you asked Parker to share the career limiting question of how many decisions have you got wrong? <laughs> I would like a little more detail about that, please, Marco, next time. Um, but those are the case. Those are the case studies that we love, and they're the ones that we never get to publish. Uh, we actually had a financial services company say that we'd saved them at least ten times more than we'd made them, but they could never publish that kind of information. So I get what you mean. In terms of your question, though, Nima, what's the most important learning learning in the journey to getting a program up and running? I'd actually go one step before that. I heard a fantastic story um, from one of Australia's multi-brand retailers who said before they were even able to do anything from a CRO perspective, they looked at organizations around the world that probably did have budget for large-scale testing programs to see what they'd done. They've likely tested it and then tried putting that onto their site. And I thought that was a really cool way to begin with. If we make small changes, if we do change things, does that have a difference to the website as we know it? So I thought that was really fun. And then the second one, which uh, came from a very large global retailer, they said the the biggest challenge they were running into is that anything that they wanted to change, you're probably going to get pushback from some part of the organization. Uh, And for them, it was brand. You know, if it's not a brand, we're not going to do it. Brand doesn't want you to change anything. So the way that they got over that cultural hurdle was to go to brand and say, what, if anything, have you guys wanted to test out before but haven't been able to? And then they would help them with a test, show them the results, go back to them next and say, well, here are the results from that one. Did you have anything else you wanted to test it, test out? And while we're doing that, we also wanted to do this test on this side of the business. So it became like a give and get between the parts of the organization that were quite against it and the team that actually wanted to do the optimization. And this entity that you're talking about, how big were they? So these guys are turning over roughly somewhere between 10 and $20 billion a year in revenue. Jesus. That, that's super interesting, man. Um, so I, I think to add some color from my, my side, I think the most important um, learning I've had in getting programs up and running I realized something, how many experiments or the fact, you know, how many experiments you're running or the teams that you have are actually not important. The most important thing that I've learned in experimentation is tempo. The most important thing you can do in running a program is actually get pace and get the, and not velocity, but just get into the habit of experimenting because I find experimentation is a habit that's formed. And a lot of times why I think experiments fail or experimentation programs fail is that people just fall out of the habit and fall back into the monotony of their business as usual tasks. And I think the most important thing around experiments that uh, experimentation I find that helps programs get up and running and be successful is tempo, the habit of testing, the habit of stopping and asking the question of, well, we sure about that. Should we test it? Should we get some stats behind it? And I think I was at a retailer talking about retailers where they're like, you know, we want experimentation everywhere. You know, we, we think it's really important. And these guys are doing experiments. And then um, they're like, are we going to do a release to the form? And we're like, oh, so you're going to test that? And he goes, no, 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 we're just going to release that. <laughs> like, 
Isn't that the opposite of what you just said? Like, yeah. like oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, of course you can. Just do that. Yeah. But like, that's the point. Is like, it's so easy to fall back into the vices that you have in the way you've always done stuff that you forget your habits. And forming that habit is probably the most important part, in my opinion, of forming a really successful experimentation program. So I agree. Um, I, I think the one thing as well that I'd probably tack onto that, and it might be more of a personality-based thing than an actual business-based thing, but I'm a pretty stubborn person. There's a lot of stubborn people in this business, and there's a oh. lot of... I, I know. Shock. Shock horror. Who could believe that I am stubborn? But uh, I'm a pretty stubborn person, and we get into a lot of conversations where I'm like, that's a terrible idea, that's a terrible idea. And they're saying, no, this is a great idea you're an idiot Parker. Like this is going to work. You're, you're just wrong. And I'm like, well, let's test. Like, let's get to that point. And I think everything is getting to that point with this business where it's not just me pushing back. It's actually the whole business pushing back on ideas and making sure that we land at a point where we test rather than just 10 minutes of everyone thinking they're the smartest person in the room with no real outcome in the end. But we both, we all know that we are the smartest people in the room. Well, obviously, but we don't tell them that. We're just letting the statistics prove it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, last question. We're going to our three tips. So if you had to accelerate your program, what would you do differently? So let's say you've gone back and you're now like, oh, Paco, you've started a new role at a huge company. Now it doesn't do experimentation. They hear you on the podcast. They're like, you've got to get that Paco guy. And you go in and you're like... I'm he sounds like he's really going to annoy us and be really aggressive and make us fail heaps. Get that guy in. He's awesome. <laughs> and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm concerned about he might be a little bit, dig his heels in and not listen sometimes, but... <laughs> but okay. get him on. Get him on anyway. <laughs> but what, what, would you, what would you do? Like you start that role and you want to accelerate. I think... Like practical. What would you practically do? Yeah, I think it's a matter of starting small. Like start small and scale big. And I think everyone has a few key objectives on a website. Like there's no real website out there that's blowing everyone's minds with its objectives. It's like, we're trying to sell more. We're trying to get people to click on things more. We're trying to get people to sign up. We're trying to get repeat visit rate, right? So the easiest thing, like if you're a retailer and you want to prove value and get things going and scale up is like, start at the cart, like start the closest to conversion and work your way back. And I'm sure you'll do well. Pick one thing, see if it works. And conform to the market. Like it's the easiest thing for businesses to do is there's very few out there that are really cutting edge in what they're doing. And if you're browsing the internet enough and you're shopping online enough and you're visiting enough blogs, there's some cool ideas out there. Just make sure when you're browsing, you spot them, put them into your queue, see what they do. So yeah, I think, I think that'd be a big one in terms of acceleration and then getting it up the chain, like starting earlier, in a lot of these conversations is, is a big part of it is every project that's rolling through. And I think that retail example you just used is a great one is like, we want to test everything. Oh, but we don't test that. We know that's going to work. And we don't test this because that's going to work. So what, what, don't even bother, don't even bother talking to me. Like it's, it's going. So get in everywhere and get everyone thinking. And I think, yeah. And be, be a bit of a prick to people and get argumentative with them and make sure that you are in people's faces about concepts and, in a, in a non-career limiting way and then uh, make sure that uh, and make sure they're thinking about testing. And sometimes, you know what, getting in there, and this is going to be controversial potentially to say out loud, but get in there and just have the opposite opinion of someone. 
have the opposite opinion and start a test on it. Like being in a different position to someone will get you there. Yeah, that's, I, I like that one. That's a really nice one. I know for me, if I had to, if I went client side and I had to accelerate a program, I think I, there's a couple of things I would do. It wouldn't be one thing. The first thing I would actually write out the mission and purpose of an experimentation team. And I, I'd make sure everyone knew that, like why we're here and what our purpose is. And some of that stuff that you were talking about being, you know, we're here to, to help you combat your own indecisiveness. We're here to make sure that you've thought through every possibility. I, I find very few teams that come together for experimentation, they, they define themselves by what they do, but they don't define themselves by what their purpose is, why they're here. I think that's one really important thing that I would do. And then the other thing I would do to accelerate a program if I could, I'd make everyone's KPI be they have to run one test a quarter, at least, at minimum. I would just get everyone into a habit, like make it a KPI that drives back into their hip pocket, that gets the habit into their minds and into their, um, into their work. So that, they're the two things I would do. Rich? Uh, so I've got two as well. The first one uh, that I see within an individual area that testing is rhythm. Uh, the biggest thing to acceleration, the deceleration that we see is that one, you run a test and then that test finishes and then you start setting up the next test. And you've now got a gap where you're not testing on anyone and you're wasting that resource of visitors coming to the website that could be informing you of what they want. So having a rhythm where while one test is running, you're setting up the next one allows you to then start and stop on basically the same day. So that'll accelerate one area. And then the second element that we see uh, we got a lot of organizations that have a, a program that's going well, but they're only running tens of experiments a year. And then they scale that to running hundreds of experiments per year. We did case studies on that as well. Um, but that's not one area now running hundreds of experiments. That's generally not possible. It's across the organization. It's different departments with different areas of focus. Like, Paco, you were talking about the funnel, start with the checkout. But there's one department that really cares about email signups because that helps a different function of marketing. So spreading it across the departments, spreading it across different brands or geographical locations, if that's how your business is set up, the number of teams that are experimenting allows you to then accelerate the program as an organization. And any learning that you get about your customer in one area could potentially inform something that happens in another area. So those are my two, rhythm and then spread it across the organization. Some really fascinating stuff. So I'm gonna take a bit of a break you're going to hear some music. We call that a break. And then you're going to come back and me, Rich and Parker are all going to tell you the three tips to get buying for your experimentation program. So if you feel inspired by everything you've heard, I know Parker, when he talks, inspires me daily. Uh, if, you, if you're loving what you're hearing. It's a low bar. <laughs> it's a low bar. It's a low bar. So if you're loving what you're hearing, come back and we'll give you those three tips. And we are back. Now, I forgot to do it at the top. I'm going to do it now. If you've heard anything controversial, if you don't agree with something, if you want to have a voice, please make sure you email us at hello at neuropublic.com. It's in the notes down the bottom when you're looking at the um, podcast. Come and email us. Let us know if there's something you want to bring up uh, and you want us to talk about in the next one or something you want to tell one of us that you didn't get a chance to do because it's not live. Anyway, you get how it works. So let's talk about the three tips to get buy-in for your experimentation program. Rich, I'm going to start with you. 
What are your three Perfect. tips for someone who wants to do this program and they want to sell it into their bosses? What are the three things they should do? Tip number one, scope it like you mean it. Because if you don't ask, you won't get. And if you don't get, you can say, I told you so to the person who didn't give you your original scope. That belongs on a t-shirt. Scope it like you mean it. Uh, second one is calculate the ROI. It's not that difficult to take a stab at what the program could be worth. Is mobile converting differently to desktop? What's the main drop-off point and what would it mean in terms of money if you moved to buy a bit? That's going to help the business case up the chain to say, this is how much money we're leaving on the table. And then number three, get your leadership involved. Don't just ask them for money for this program. Link it to their goals. Make sure that they have, they're engaged in the program. There's so much resource out there that's targeted at leadership, um, events that they could get involved in, things that they could read. If you get them involved and bought into the idea, then you're more likely to get a chance at this and it's more likely to be successful long-term. Yeah, that's true. I know Optimizely New Republic, we do dinners. Free dinners at good restaurants. Email us in. We'll let you know when the next one is. Bring your boss to a free meal. And then fourth, you've got to sell this internally. Once you get started, you've got to give your program PR. So that's like sharing what you're testing, the results that are coming from it. I've seen two really good examples of that. Uh, one of the big four banks creates little videos of what the person is seeing and then shows the results afterwards so that it's really easily digestible across a very large organization. And the other one, uh, which was actually spoken about at an event recently from Credit Union Australia, was a little cornier. They do it like a boxing match. In the red corner, we've got the original and some stats about them. And then in the blue corner, we've got the variation and this is what we're trying to change. And then gets the whole organization or whoever cares to, to try and guess what the winner is going to be before they run the test and then send out the communications afterwards. So just getting people involved, understanding the result in a fun way can make a big difference for being able to scale. That's cool. You know, we do something as well. Um, we do this kind of experiment of the month where we kind of do a more easy digestible case study that we send out to everyone. I've shown you this, haven't I, Rich? Have you seen it? Have you seen one yeah. of them? Yeah, we do that as well. But I, I agree, man. I reckon that fourth one's a killer. It's a really good one. Parker. <laughs> I'll be at that meal too, right? <laughs> That's right. What's your three, uh, three tips, buddy? Well, that was inspiring by Rich. So mine might underwhelm at this point. So my, my three tips are to make sure you uh, anchor your program relative to something that is exciting for the key stakeholders in the business, be it media, be it operational efficiency, whatever it is that gets the business excited about it, anchor your proposition relative to that. Um, second one is making sure that everyone's aligned. And I think Rich kind of touched on this, but make sure everyone's aligned with where we're going and going on the journey and what that journey looks like for you. And the final one, which I'm going to say is challenge everyone. And it'll be a tough one. It'll be a tough one for some people. If you're like me and you don't mind throwing your hat in the ring for any sort of fight, you'll, uh, you'll be all right with it. But challenge everyone and make sure the outcome is let's test it. You're like seven foot tall. Of course you can pick. Five. Well, I go for the human intimidation factor, but it's tough over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my three tips to wind this up. My three tips to get buying on your experimentation program. Tip number one, like the guy said, go and get the board paper and tie everything back uh, to your program. So at least that way, if you move a needle, it's going to get registered up at the top and they're going to start seeing experiments that relate back to who they are and what they do. So I think all of us agree. Buy in, um, 
make sure you get the executives to be a part of that journey. Tip number two to get your program up and running, template. If it's a bad day or a good day, just get your experiment up. Do not forsake. I know a lot of times when we're designing an experiment that we'll stop to get everything perfect. And at the end of the day, it's an experiment. It has 50% chance of losing. The th only thing you can lose by not getting your test up is learnings. So my second tip is don't wait for perfection. Get it up and learn and then make it perfect when you go to production if it wins. And then my, my third tip, I think this is kind of different to everybody else's. My third tip is be patient. It's a journey. A lot of people don't understand this stuff and it takes them time. But if you're consistent and you're persistent, then at one point the light bulb's going to go off and they'll understand what you're talking about. You might just sound crazy for a while, but Picasso was crazy. So you could be the next Picasso is what I'm saying. So with that, that's the close of our show. I want to thank Paco for joining us. I know uh, taking a day out of your hectic schedule, it means a lot, mate. So thank you very much. No worries. Thank you for having me. And my main man, Rich, who's with me on every show. It's been a delight to have you back and get your POV, dude. Thank you, Neymar. And uh, we will see you next month with another exciting episode and another exciting guest. And of course, hopefully Jess can join us this time because she's overseas. So Jess, come back. All right. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the New Republic podcast. And make sure you send us your comments at hello at neuropublic.com. See you next month.